Welcome to the LNT chat show and today I'm delighted to say that my guest is Chris Rust. Um, Chris, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I currently am retired. I'm a Professor Emeritus at Oxford Brooks. Um, I've been retired for oh, I don't know, five years. I started life as a school teacher. I did 11 years teaching secondary school English for 11 years. I diversified into um, media resources and um, basically resource-based learning during that time. Um, and then I moved into higher education, into um, staff and educational development, and um, a brief um, sojourn at um, Worcester College of what was then higher education. And then the rest of my time, I can't remember exactly, but 28 years or something at Oxford Brooks. Excellent. Uh, well, we, we share a link then in, in Worcester. Um, I taught there for uh, about eight years. Um, and uh, in, in that time, I did actually get involved with the um, the PG cert um, and I still teach on the PG cap at my place. Um, today, we're going to be talking about uh, the use um, or perhaps the non-use of numbers when it comes to, to marking. And um, my current institution, and I'm guessing many of the, the people who might listen to this will be in a similar situation, is one that uses percentages to mark uh, work. And I know that you have some quite strong feelings about this. Do you want to start off by just um, praising, um, you know, what, what your main arguments are um, against the use of percentages? Yeah, I mean, just, just wind back a little. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to talk about the percentages, um, but it seems to me that's only one facet of, of my objections to the use of numbers. In a nutshell, I, I think everything we do with numbers in terms of market it is intellectually and morally indefensible and statistically invalid. That's my starting. I really can see no actual intellectual justification for what is common practice in education and this has constantly stunned me really as to how people go on doing presumably it appears just because that's what we've always done things which if you just stood back and think about it for not very long you can see why why these things are just bad practices if we want to start with percentages i mean firstly Using a percentage implies that you can make a distinction to the level of a 100th, that you can distinguish quality to the level of 100. Now, as soon as you say that, I think you start to see, well, that's crazy. The human brain can't look at anything and distinguish to quality to a, to, to, to a level of 100. You may well come back to me and say, ah, oh, yes, but in England, we, or the UK, we, we don't use the whole hundred either. Uh, you know, leave the question why to one side. You know, the marks will generally be between 35, 75 or something. Um, nevertheless, you know, even if we're talking about 40th, the notion that you can make a decision to one fortieth is just nonsensical. So all those stupid arguments in exam boards about is this a 54 or a 55, you know, are just you know, a waste of time and crazy. But beyond that, you get into the problem of, well, what does that number actually mean? So I'm going to give this piece of work 55. What does that actually mean? And, you know, again, 
two pieces of work could both validly get 55 within current systems, but have very different strengths and weaknesses. So not only is it questionable what the number means, it, it actually sort of obscures meaning, it seems to me, to both lecturers and to students. And certainly when it goes on into the system, and so somebody else looks and says, oh, you got 55 for that work. That means virtually nothing except, well, it, was, it wasn't as good as somebody who got a bit more, which doesn't really tell anybody anything. Um, so that, that would be my second argument. My third argument would be, and this is where we get into the, the statistical invalidity of, of what we do, it's, it's not scalable. If you get 90%, that doesn't mean that piece of work is one and a half times as good as something that got 60. And if it's not scalable, then any arithmetic operation you do with those numbers is statistically illegitimate. And I've said in many, in many places, what university exam systems, assessment systems do with marks, a first year statistics student would fail for doing. And I've never had anybody come back at me and say I'm wrong. Okay. Well, I I did say I was going to play devil's advocate a little bit um, in this because you know I I I can see many of the the pitfalls of of percentages and and in my own experience when talking to sort of new lecturers about the process I say the the first thing I always start off with is really just that sense of classification since ultimately that's what we're giving is it a first is it a two one is it a two two is it a third is it a fail. And, and from there, you might make a, a slightly more nuanced thing of, you know, is it a good T1 or a, a poor T1? But again, I, I agree with what you're saying about it being um, judgmental. Do you think it helps or it makes any difference whatsoever if, for example, um, and this is certainly prevalent where I work, we have rubrics that ask us to actually identify in words uh, what a particular 10 percentage range represents with regards to quality. Um, or indeed uh, in those places where the marks, uh, the 100% is divided between a number of different um, either uh, features or sections. So for example, I've seen in dissertations that there are so many marks available for the introduction, so many for the lit review, so many for the methodology, whatever. Does, does that make any difference or, uh, uh, you know, ignoring the statistical argument for the moment, does, does that not make any difference to the, the validity of using percentages? Well, I think they're two different things. Let's start with the, the second thing you talked about, the adding, you know, 10% for this, 15% for that. I think that illustrates pretty much my, what the point I was making, that it just obscures what the final number you get at the end means. And it, it, it essentially is a nonsense if we um, accept that over the last, I don't know, 20 years or so, we have moved supposedly to a learning outcomes based model of course design. So if we have a learning based model of course design, the key question for any course module or whatever should surely be, has the learning outcome been met? And then if you must, you can then get into a discussion about to what degree has it been met sufficiently, very good, you know, whatever. And those sort of thoughts sort of make sense, don't they? If you've just about met what we wanted with this learning outcome, you've done it well, and if you must, you've done it, you know, perfectly. Um, so, you know, that would give you three grades or something. 
But when you say you've got 15% for the introduction, so you do that very, it's an appalling introduction, you get one mark. You do something else really well. Um, and then we average it all together, you know, and we get 55. And, and as I said before, so some other students get 55 for totally different ways of adding these things up. It, it obscures what it's about and it, and it, it creates this gap from, you know, we've stopped asking has the learning outcome been met? We're now into this sort of micro level of, you know, have they used referencing rights? Have they done this right? So, I mean, again, I think that illustrates my point perfectly I'm, you know this notion of marks for different bits which you add together you're essentially adding apples and pears uh, and it doesn't make sense your earlier point about rubrics I mean one of the problems clearly rubrics can be better than nothing and can be useful but I, I'd say if we're going to have a rubric for a 10% band well why don't we just call that a grade letter um, why have 10 numbers presumably still attached to this. Two, I think I think it was Max York who pointed out that actually to pin anything down in words um, would take so many words um, in most cases that, you know, it's not doable. So what we end up with is a paragraph, don't we? And that paragraph will have weasel words in it, like a good use of analysis or a basic use and and so we then get into well what do we mean by basic do you mean the same as me um and and again we get into this aggregation we you know if if if, if in terms of the analysis they're one of your 10 percent fans but in terms of the um, the evaluation or the exposition, they're in another 10% band. We're back to this, well, then we're going to average it out and stick it somewhere in the middle. And we lose the, the, the granularity. We lose the texture of actually what was good, what was bad about this piece of work by this student. And most importantly, what do the student need to know about what should they be doing differently and where should they be going to improve? Well, I, I, and again, there's a very clear distinction between uh, feedback and marks. Um, so, uh, for example, if if you look at feedback, which uh, we are encouraged uh, to actually really look at and refer to and write as feed forward. So in other words, it's the what could you have done better? So the student then learns from the feedback process. Um, but as soon as you give something a mark, clearly the student is going to be more interested in the mark because they know that that is how ultimately either their module score or, or their overall score for uh, any particular year is going to be calculated. And it's the basis of um, that calculation. And sometimes they're, they're very, you know, they're very specific about where they will get their 2% from or where they lost their 2%. So there's, there is a distinction, I think, between what we give people in terms of numbers and then what, what we give people in terms of feedback. And I'm just wondering, you know, as I suggested before we actually started the recording, you, you know, would you agree that perhaps for the first year or maybe in the first two years, we actually don't bother with grades at all um, of any kind of value and we just give feedback because that would be, you know, more encouraging for the the learning process and if we are going to replace uh, percentages is there an obvious thing to replace them with because there are you know various other models available including of course the sort of traditional final output 
from a, a degree program or an undergraduate degree program, um, which is, you know, first two, one, two, two, third or fail possibly or ordinary. And then, of course, at postgrad, I think quite oddly, in some respects, you get past merit distinction, um, which is the same as you might get, say, for an HND. So it, is, is there a better way, if, you know, is there another way in which we can judge things that are grade equivalent or should we just just be looking at, at feedback? And as you said, maybe just referencing the learning outcomes. Yeah, OK, so again, working backwards, I mean, your, your observation is one that I've also made um, many times is to why do people cling on with this obsession about numbers and percentages and so on for the undergraduate program, where nobody suggests we should be giving the PhD a percentage mark. And nobody's been able to answer that to me satisfactorily either. So yes, I mean, I certainly it seems to me past merit distinction makes much, much more sense. As I, as I said earlier, I think, yes, we can in common parlance think about talking like around something of being just good enough, very good, wonderful, you know, past merit distinction. That sort of fits and makes sense. And it also overcomes the notion that your 55 and my 55 might not be. We've got far more chance of agreeing on those basic crude distinctions, it seems to me. Um, and yes, I've always argued, um, I can't see any reason why, for example, the first year or whatever couldn't be very simply pass fail. Um, certainly, I believe even MIT, I think it's first semester anyway, is pass fail. For, interestingly, because they don't want students who've been high flyers and doing very well wherever they came from, suddenly realizing that there are lots of people who are better than them and they're now only getting average marks. So um, yeah, so an interesting reason for doing it, but, but my, and I, I don't know about other institutions in America. What I would argue, though, is if I'm looking for solutions, my, my starting point would be to go back to the notion of the program. And I think we've lost sight of the overarching program of study of the student. And I think, and have argued, that we should have a program approach to assessment. Um, and we should be looking for where are the learning outcomes of the program being assessed, because all too often, I think, at module level, there's an atomization, and it's questionable whether the sum of the parts, you know, whether the outcomes from the modules all add up actually to deliver the program. So I, I'll give you an example. I don't think, sadly, for various reasons, um, not I think that it, because it wouldn't work, but I don't think this ever got put into practice, but I spent some time a few years ago at Wollongong in Australia. And at the time, they had made a strategic decision that every program would have to identify which of its modules were assessing program outcomes. I, I thought this was superb for a number of reasons. It wasn't dictatorial top-down in saying where these should be, how many they should be, how that assessment should take place. The only requirement was going to be you should identify in your program outline which modules you will be assessing a synthesis, if you like, of the other modules. Where will you be assessing the program outline? And of course that would have 
that was was starting to have all sorts of positive impacts. So, you know, people in the program team were having to talk to each other in ways that they may not have done before. Um, people were suddenly realizing how the program was supposed to fit together because people in the teaching first year didn't necessarily know what happened in the second order. I believe that if they'd gone ahead with that, that would have been a real step forward. And what I was arguing that they hadn't thought of at the time was that, well, if you're doing that, surely all the modules that aren't these program assessment modules could be passed by that. that. The more important thing is the feedback and the students have got a reason for understanding that and engaging with that feedback, i.e. they are going to need these things when it comes to these bigger assessments in the, you know, the, the, the program assessment module. And I think that, again, would have been a real step forward. It, it leaves the question, how are you going to assess the program assessment modules? And I guess at that point, it depends, you know, if you're wedded to degree classifications, well, then maybe that's where you've got to start relating these to, to that. I still would go back, though, to saying I think the most important thing in these assessments is the linkage to the learning outcome. You know, have you met this one, but you haven't met that one? Um, and mapping where the student will later be able to demonstrate that they have met that outcome um, if they've not met it here. The problem going back to the numbers, the percentages and so on is, it seems to me that it obscures the fact that somebody could probably go all the way through a program, always doing very badly at one particular aspect, but it being averaged out to the point where they're able to pass. One hopes to God that medical degrees have actually sorted that one out in terms of competencies and, you know, and, and uh, other ways of assessing on those on those, mod, on those um, programs. But I suspect where it's not quite so critical as medicine and, and nursing, etc., I suspect that there are students who can get through a whole program and actually they've not met one or more of the, of the espoused program outcome because it's just been obscured with the numbers. It's interesting, actually, because um, uh, a friend of mine's son uh, went through the medical degree um, and so got to hear quite a lot about the, the competency, competencies. And when they had practicals, they would have 12 practicals and they would have to pass at least 10 out of the 12. So even there, there was an acknowledgement that they weren't necessarily uh, passing everything. And I suppose it depends what you see as the, well, partly the reason for doing the degree in the in the first place because I teach on marketing and advertising courses so I'm part of a business school where ultimately and I, I know this is spreading to other areas largely due to the influence of government and the office for students um, the students are judged by graduate outcomes and and that primarily means have they gone into graduate level work so a lot of what we do is actually directed by how do we make the students employable as an English graduate um, I didn't do a degree in English because I was thinking about a specific job that that would uh, you know allow me to go and do. I had an interest in uh, English literature and language and and I you know partly the idea of having to go out and work because I'd spent six months working for the civil service and hating it and partly also that that idea that you know the world is full of ideas and it'd be really lovely to go out and explore some with like-minded individuals from various different backgrounds and and so spend three years doing something which I enjoyed and how you measured what the value of or, or what the uh, program learning levels were, I suppose, would perhaps be more difficult. 
and I'm guessing the same might be true for history or geography so that over an whole whole program you might be expected to know all these things um, and actually you might not know all these things but the small bit that you really really were interested in you could become expert enough potentially to go on and, and do other things with that but ultimately you know if we're just assessing a program by a set of learning outcomes uh, on a pass fail basis then then you may not complete the program in that so you end up not getting a degree despite the fact that you clearly do have you know a huge amount of talent or knowledge or uh, understanding of, well, of think, a particular area i think the answer to that is that you've got to make sure when you're designing your program and deciding on what your program outcomes are that they are outcomes necessary to that discipline for you to collect you know to, to you to acknowledge that that is worthy of this person is worthy of a degree in our discipline so you know i'm not suggesting they've all got to know a particular fact necessarily um although i guess the medics that may be more important but um i think you know if it's a history degree it's going to be much more to do with research skills um ability to analyze ability to make an argument it's going to be much more skills focused if, if you like academic skills as it were which actually are the ones that will make you employable i mean I'm, i would take issue with the whole you know graduate employability outcome because there's a huge problem there in deciding what is a graduate job isn't there and um you know as we all know jokes about mcdonald's and things um so uh, yeah um yeah i think it's about the integrity of what you think is important for your subject if somebody's going to go out and say i have a degree in x what is it you would expect them to be able to do and if they can't do those things you'd be embarrassed you know it's, it's interesting that you mentioned the um, Australian example because my institution um, has recently gone through a process of implementing block teaching on the basis of a model that was developed in Australia. Uh, part of the planning process for which was actually that looking at program level outcomes and making sure that they were covered uh, within the modules, which was made slightly easier now by the fact that uh, there are few, if any, uh, non uh, compulsory modules um, so the, the the course is very much more fixed which means that the program outcomes can be embedded within it much more easily and I know uh, from either the article or the uh, slides that you sent through uh, for me to have a look at before we, we met today um, that one of the assessment formats um, that you suggested might be a, a you know a good way of uh, addressing assessment is portfolio um, and certainly in a lot of not necessarily all of but a lot of the the modules there has been that flexibility in portfolio <laughs> we're still looking at percentages so I'm wondering if if we could have maybe taken on the very best of what was available what what do you think i, I think in the slides you mentioned uh four different assessment formats but you have, do you have a preference then uh, for an assessment format or a way of marking uh that would avoid the, the problems with percentages well i mean okay um i i think that, well i think it's two different things isn't it i think there's something about how do you structure a program to make sure you're assessing for the program and I think you've got some choices. And I'm not sure I want to say I think one's necessarily better than another. I, I liked the Wollongong model. I thought that would have been real progress. But as you say, the notion of students being made responsible for compiling some kind of portfolio is, is, a, 
is another way you could very, very easily, I think, I mean, I think people are put off because I think it's going to be a lot more work. But actually, I think if we genuinely, I mean, there's a lot of jargon around student-centered approaches and so on. If we are generally, generally student-centered, the notion that you put the onus back onto the student to compile the evidence that they have met X, Y, or Z learning outcome has a, a lot going for it. I think, firstly, it means that the student would have to engage and we'd have to spend time talking with students and making sure they understand what the program learning outcomes actually mean. What is the program about? Where are we trying to get them? Uh, uh, where are we get, trying to get them to by the end? What is the epistemology? What does a history student look, you know, a graduate look like? Um, so I think there are getting the students to actually compile. And I think if you then link that to the notion, for example, pass fail modules, then the student gathering evidence and in particular gathering lecturer feedback on the work they do in different modules so that they then put those examples from different modules together to say, I think I have now got enough evidence of X program outcome. And then getting that assessed, for example. It's interesting, we, ne we nearly went for a model like that at Oxford Brooks at one point. My life is, is full of places that nearly do good things and then don't do them well. Um, we had a huge debate about when we semesterized um, and the broken the notion of the broken back semester at Christmas, and we decided not to have a broken back, and therefore we had a really short, short semester. And a group of us suggested that the solution to this was to make the two short semesters essentially teaching only modules and then to have a third smaller block which became an assessment and the idea that the students as I say in, in my head I mean this may not have been everybody in our group's head but in my head that those taught modules in the first two semesters could all have been pass fail with lots of good qualitative feedback to the students leading to an assessment block which could have all manner of different forms of assessment. So you, I mean, if you must, you could have an exam, hopefully a, a well-designed exam, which enabled the students to demonstrate that they could do whatever it was you wanted them to be able to do. Um, but nevertheless, you could have exams, you could have them present a portfolio of, of work, um, you could have them actually do a mini project, um, et cetera, et cetera. So I think there are numerous some would say radical, but I don't think that radical, because I think you could probably find examples of these things in different places. I mean, clearly we know about portfolio assessment from art, from, from architecture, you know. So I, I, I think it's a matter of having the will. Once you've stood back and said, actually, look, this number stuff is, you know, just adding and aggregating and then sticking it all into some, you know, great calculator in the Central University comes out spews out whether you get a degree by half a mark or you don't get it you don't get that classification by half a mark um, like that scientifically means anything I think there are all sorts of things we could be doing which would you know which, which would be much much better uh, okay um, unfortunately I'd, I'd love to ask you what all those other things were but we are we are running a little short of time so just just before I finish I just wanted um, I'll give you one more I'll give you one more uh, okay 
because again, this one does exist. Um, it's not whether it, it, I think it exists anyway. It's how I was told it. Um, you know, I've not been there. I, I cannot swear. But anyway, it's a great model, even if it doesn't exist. I am, I believe Maastricht, um, Maastricht, certainly business school. I'm not sure about all their disciplines. Anyway, Maastricht business school, they have a structure where um, the semester, two thirds of the semester has, I'm making these numbers up now, let's say three modules running in parallel. But anyway, they have modules running in parallel. For the last third of the semester, students are put into groups because it's a, it's a university that does an awful lot of group work, teamwork, it's, a, it's that's part of its philosophy. They're put into teams and they're given a project which is based on synthesizing what they should have learned from the three preceding parallel. Now, I've no idea at this point how they actually go about the assessment. But my argument would be in that model, all you would need is pass fail for those three parallel models. And the students, rather than being distracted by marks, would care about the feedback because they've got to go on and do the synthesizing project. I would still say when you mark the project, I would go for something fairly basic like class merit distinction or whatever, rather than anything else. But again, and, and, and if you go back to my Wollongong example, that final module of the semester would have been in this program, your program assessment module. Right. So I don't think this is, I, this is not that difficult. I mean, I can't believe there's a university in the country where you couldn't put that model into your structure if, if you as a program chose to do it. The one question that that would occur to me, because obviously I, you know, I, I, I quite agree with with uh, what you're saying. Um, so th there's two parts of this. One, could it fit with the current classification system for degrees, and and two, should we still have the current classification system for degrees, or should that be changed to something like? you know, past merit distinction, which well, I'm sure, you know, a lot of people are familiar with. I, I did a flute exam uh, a, a year or so ago, which used exactly the same um, process. So, you know, it's fail past merit distinction. And, and you know, that I think I think that is a very accessible system for people. I, I've, I've said this and annoyed quite a few people um, in the last few years, but I mean, I, of course, I mean, maybe I, I don't need to keep worrying about this because good old grade inflation is actually going to mean everyone gets a first term soon and we will basically have a pass-fail degree. Um, oh, I'm, so, I'm, I'm sure they'll add a first star like they did with the A stars when well, that happens. They may have to, yes. But, uh, yeah, you know, so, I mean, maybe we're just, you know, gradually evolving it, the whole thing out of the system anyway. I, I mean, the degree classification system is, I mean, you know, why have two levels of, of a second class, for example? And, you know, if we go back to the numbers thing, you know, why, it, I mean, in most systems is the last 25% um, a first, and then the other classifications are, you know, are smaller divisions. I mean, they're not even the, the same size divisions, are they? I mean, none of it makes any sense. And of course, what we haven't got on to, I mean, one of the things about that, I mean, as I say, everyone else has caught up more recently, but where every subject is treated the same, but the numerate disciplines where students can get 95% on a module with no trouble at all, and a history student will be damn lucky to get 75, or certainly that's been the case up until maybe people are now being a little bit more generous. 
again, I think Mance York in his work on, on different subject degrees pointed out that, you know, you've got, I can't remember, it was something like three or four times more chance of getting the first in maths than you have in history. And that's not for any reason other than the numerical way these things are worked out. So, I mean, I, I've, I've argued this in the past too. I mean, there is actually an equal opportunities fairness case here that a system that makes no... I mean, the other thing we've not talked about is it makes no account for the fact that students generally do worse on exams than they do on coursework. Mm. So we have a system that ignores that fact, ignores the disciplinary differences, ignores the fact that we're measuring apples and pears anyway, and then churns out a number of you and says, well, this is all fair, you get a 2-1. And it blatantly isn't. Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, that, that distinction between you know the subjective judgment of a of, of a piece of writing with um you, you know a, a hundred uh, maths questions which you know, you it's either going to be right or wrong um it clearly makes a, di a difference i think the highest mark i've ever given uh, was a 98 and i really wanted to give it 100 but didn't feel that i i could um i mean the other thing i mean again i mean another sub issue is it seems to me that the numerate disciplines sort of sort of go around smiling, thinking, "Well, it's all right, but we're okay," because you know this is this is scientific, and it's either right or wrong, and you get seven out of ten or whatever. But I, I mean, do, does eight out of ten mean this is first class work? No, it means that on the quality of these questions, you were able to get eight right. Um, they may have been very easy questions. I mean, it's no more scientific or accurate than me deciding I'm going to give you 70% for an essay. Um, it down to the quality of how well those questions were written by whoever wrote them. And then it still obscures what did they actually assess, which which math skills and abilities were built into those. You know, if you've got three questions wrong and still got 70%, but those three questions just happen to all be about one aspect of the maths. So there's an aspect of this subject you are failing in but you're still going to get a first because you've got seven out of 10 right, you know? Or you get zero. You get zero for a question because you made one minor error in a calculation, or you get zero because you couldn't do it. Those are not equatable. Even in the numerate disciplines, there are, you know, just as many problems in that this is failing to do what it's supposed to do. And, and picking up on your, your earlier point about the the you know divisions of these things that it's it's 10 percent for third two one two two but then you know the, if the cutoff point for a first is 70 you're talking about there's another 30 marks that are yeah, available so exactly. you know it, it really seems a bit a bit, a yeah. bit pointless especially because there, obviously there is pressure on saying well first class should be excellent in some way and and we're not really judging that excellence on a numerical basis because apparently there's 30 percent worth of yeah. of that excellence you know still available to be picked up on exactly but I, I'm I'm conscious, unfortunately, that that, that would be a good title for something, us. wouldn't it? Thirty percent of, of excellence. I, I, <laughs> I, I shall bear it in mind. Um, but a, a, anyway, I, I know that there is so much more that that could be said about this, and hopefully will be said about this, and and perhaps this will spur a few people on to to questioning the the status quo as it was. Uh, but for now, Chris Rust, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, that was absolutely excellent and uh, and good luck with everything that you're doing. Thank you. You're very welcome.